Is a daisy a fancy flower? No. What about a chrysanthemum? Uh, chrysanthemums are kind of on the border. They're like fancy daisies. What? No, chrysanthemum's fancy, I think. What about like a peony? I think that's fancy. That's a fancy flower. What about a rose? Roses are fancy. See, here, I disagree. What? I think a rose is so ubiquitous and commonplace now that it can't be fancy. I think the appearance of a rose is elegant and fancy. Mm -hmm. But I think a society has ruined it as a fancy flower. Because every uh, woman who has a tattoo that says classy lady has a rose on it. <laughs> True. And if it's on a tattoo proclaiming your class, it is not classy. So you're saying all of the like side boob tattoos that have roses on them are not cool anymore. I, I didn't say cool. I don't think the rose is fancy or elegant anymore because it is too commonplace. True. Okay. I think you have to be a little more rare to be fancy if it is the most common flower in a flower shop can it really be a fancy flower maybe it's like the lowest of the fanciest i think it's the highest of the non-fancy i think we're one point apart on the scale as we often are on this podcast oh yeah it's a podcast should we get into that oh are we doing that now yeah let's do that oh okay 안녕하세요. 내 이름 란다와 인디입니다. 이 사람 내 친구 진짜 이쁘다. He's Samantha. <웃음> 와우. 이것은 팟캐스트 나눈 이것을 사랑합니다. I don't know how to say should. You should too. No, I don't know. My Korean has gotten bad <웃음> over the years. I'm very impressed. 한국어라서요? I, yeah. 진짜? I don't know. <laughs> now Indy will only speak in Korean to me. <laughs> Welcome everyone to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. I realize I forget the word should in many languages. It's hard. It's a hard one. Yeah. My name is Indy Randawa and with me is the lovely, in Korean I said, uh, very pretty Samantha Hughes. Oh, thank you. Jinchaipuda. Korean indie is very charming. <laughs> Not as charming as Spanish indie. Oh, yeah. Because then no. I do the voice. Spanish indie is more seductive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we haven't done any French movies yet. Then no. it can be French indie. I've never who met. Who just tells dirty jokes. Oh, okay. Well, I like that too. <laughs> well, welcome to another episode. And we are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. Say that in Korean. <laughs> Um, we don't have the time. <laughs> it takes me a while. I used to be good. I used to live in Korea, so my Korean was was fine then. Uh, not so much anymore. Hmm. But today we are going to be speaking about a Korean movie. In English. Yes. And the English <laughs> title is I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. And this was my choice that I brought to Samantha because how this podcast works is we take turns presenting a movie to the other, something that they haven't seen and probably wouldn't ever choose to see on their own. And Samantha is shaking her head vigorously <laughs> at this because this probably wasn't one you would have chosen on your own. No. But before we get into the episode for today, let's thank our first sponsor, and that is ATB, the Alberta Treasury Branch, and ATB Cares. With ATB Cares, giving is easy. 
Donate through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities, maximizing the impact of your donation. And you can visit atbcares.com to choose your cause and donate today. So if you're going to donate money, might as well go through them, and they'll add in a little bit. That's Can't go fair. Wrong with that. that seems like a win-win. Win. Three wins. Win-win-win. Because the charity, yeah. ATB, and you. And me personally well let's get right into things we watched the 2006 film i'm a cyborg but that's okay cyborg jiman quintana the park chan wook film and i had only seen it one time i was a little concerned if it's as good as i thought it was but first samantha you were coming into this quite blind had no (laughs) idea what you were getting into and it is a peculiar movie Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Good way to put it. What are your first thoughts on I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay? I didn't get it. You didn't get it? No. Oh, okay. I don't know why. I've like read the Wikipedia page. We just watched more of it over again while we were doing notes. I just didn't get it. Okay. Well, I think (laughs) we're going to have to break that down. Yes. And what that means. Uh, But first, maybe I'll go. I maybe didn't love it as much as I did the first time. Okay. I still think it's pretty great. (laughs) I think the first act is where I had the most issues, but it seems like all of those issues I did have were resolved. And when it got into like the 50% mark of this movie and onwards, I was fully on board. I was invested in the characters and the performances and this unique style that Park Chan-wook has created here. So I got on board pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But let's go back into your thoughts about it then. Can you answer the question of what did you not get? I don't know. I just felt like it was really hard to follow. And I didn't understand a lot of what was going on. I I think, especially because we have this podcast, I am not like your average viewer anymore. I feel like I have a little bit more like movie knowledge than I did before. Yeah, definitely. And like so I haven't been like confused by a movie in a very long time and I think that this one just like we finished it and it was late so I went to bed and then I got up the next day and I was like I don't really understand or know how to talk about this movie. And so then I read the Wikipedia page. So you've read a plot summary. Yeah. And did the plot summary as written not make sense or did you not get what the summary said through the movie reading the plot summary like i understood everything that was in it i think it also just like drove home the fact that i didn't really get the movie okay and when you say you didn't get it do you think it's more like plot points you didn't understand what was actually happening in the movie or that the movie was trying something and it just didn't work on you i think the movie was trying something and it just didn't work Okay. I mean, like, I understood mental institution and, like, her thinking she's a cyborg and trying to, like, recharge herself. And and her, like, her friend in the movie, Rain, is that his name? Yeah, that's, that's the actor's <laughs> name. Uh, trying to, like, like, also mentally ill and trying – and, like, having the – taking on her kind of behaviors – because mm-hmm. I read that in this thing and I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense that he uh, like 
takes on her traits and takes on traits of others in the mental institution. Yes, because he feels like his identity itself is so weak that he's literally disappearing Mm -hmm. and that his personality wasn't strong enough. And that's why his mother left him. And he's going through all of these attempts to gain personality in stealing it from others but not creating anything of his own and Mm -hmm. then at the end he tries to kind of get there but by marrying these two personalities and that's kind of a step perhaps at least that's what i think yeah i i don't know i like i understood everything that was going on i just didn't really understand like when she'd have her like moments where she was like kind of drifting away right like where she was seeing her grandmother and... The hallucinations. The hallucinations. Sure. And so, like, I didn't really understand when that was happening and when it wasn't. And kind of, like, I don't know. I had a hard time seeing this film kind of linearly. I wrote in my notes, because I thought that it might be an issue, was the subjective reality of this film problematic for you? And I'm guessing <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, the answer is yes. Okay, well, let's let's make a little plan and we'll kind of go through these things together. I want to talk about uh, the tone of the movie and if that works. And I think the portrayal of mental illness can be grouped into that section. Okay. I think we should talk about not psychoanalyzing these characters because uh, they are fictional and we are not doctors, but I guess doing a little bit of a character analysis yeah. of them and their motivations and causes. And then there's a few themes that I think I'd like to talk about. The idea of meaning, the meaning of life, purpose, uh, sympathy and empathy. There's a little bit of vengeance in there too. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we'll finish on the subjectivity of reality. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Does that sound enjoyable to you or does this sound like homework? (laughs) It kind of sounds like homework, but I'm into it. After this many episodes, I'm I'm okay with it. <laughs> no, I was worrying because I don't have many notes on this one at all. I thought we wouldn't have much to talk about. But I think this might be a good episode because it might get back to the classics of what this podcast used to be of you being like, I don't know, this seemed kind of dumb <laughs> or silly or you didn't get it. And me getting too enthusiastic going like, oh, but what about this? What about this? And then you going... Okay, yeah, I guess that was pretty good. <laughs> okay. So maybe it'll be a classic episode. Like maybe. That. I hope so. Because, like, I, I don't know. I tried. I, I really tried. And yeah, I, you read I notes. Read, you don't I read. Do I, like, that often. did some research. Wow. We rewatched some of it. And I still, like, feel like I have no idea what I watched. And I feel like I just want to keep asking the same question, but it's not going to get us anywhere. No. Of, like, what did it make sense? Because to me, this movie does make sense but also thinking about it now is like oh yeah this is a pretty weird movie (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't seem too strange to me and i think there are a a few different reasons anything that takes place in a different culture is always going to be a little different Mm -hmm. and it's not like oh other cultures are weird but other cultures are weird if you're not used to that right yes i've i've lived in korea for quite a while so there's little things that might seem odd to others that seem completely normal to me mm, okay. i know i had a trouble watching any korean especially comedic movies before i lived there i was like there's nothing funny about this <laughs> i don't get it at all and then i lived there and it came back i was like oh yeah that's pretty funny and it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is yeah see i'm having trouble like you keep asking me the same question and i'm like and just something's off it's just something's off and i just like it just kind of feels like it went right over my head so I'm interested in talking about this because I maybe I'll understand it at the end. 
Who knows? And then I think the cultural stuff is probably small in this movie. I think the next thing is this is just like a a weird movie. Mm -hmm. It's odd for this director even. It didn't do terribly well. And I think it's because it was a mash of tones that you don't often see together. Mm -hmm. And I think the tone of this movie can be a real impediment to really understanding and uh, getting the most out of it, I guess. Okay. And I think that the tone of this movie is comparable to movies that are successful here, but the tone mixed with the subject matter is where it gets a little tricky. Right. Because you can have something that is fun and fanciful and whimsical, like uh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Which you enjoyed for the most part. I liked that one, yeah. And you definitely get. I get it. But you can see how that is not reality. Yes. Because it is, it's fantastic and it's a band with scissors for hands. Yeah. But when we take that same type of tone, whatever you want to call it, quirky or whimsical or anything like that, and I, I have grown to hate both of those words <laughs> because a lot of movies that are described like yeah, that are really disliked. And you're just like, this is dumb. Um, but when you take those types of ideas and put them into mental illness and people who could be suicidal, who are starving themselves to death... That is a lot trickier to navigate, and I feel like that can be a uh, a sticking point to getting into this movie. Mm, okay. And we talked a bit earlier on uh, the pre-episode that the portrayal of the mentally ill as quirky is pretty intrinsically problematic. Yeah. And I was questioning, why is that? And I think it's just because it's done too often and done too poorly mm-hmm. in other films. And I think... That movies like this are kind of penalized by the lack of tact of other movies. Mm-hmm. So how about you? How did you feel like mental illness was portrayed here? And whether or not that kind of lighter or quirky or eccentric tone worked on it? I feel like this is one of the places where I kind of struggled a lot was that I didn't I don't know, you can kind of tell at the beginning of this movie that it's not all, like, it's more like Wes Anderson than it is, like, a normal movie. Definitely. So I had trouble differentiating from this, like, Wes Anderson real life. I'm using heavy quotations on that because it's, like, obviously not. um, To when she's hallucinating and she's in the institution. Okay. So, like, I had troubles there, and so then I had troubles kind of differentiating between what was like whimsical and because of like whimsical because of mental illness and just whimsical because of this world right because i think if we look at other subjects right you can do other things in a silly way Mm -hmm. like nobody is upset about the avengers for their weird take on law enforcement right right that's not a conversation because we know those types of movies we know what they are yeah this is something that's a little unique Mm -hmm. it's something that we don't see a lot and when before watching it my worry was that these side characters would get into the silly more than the simply eccentric right and early on in the movie when they're doing all sorts of background action like there's somebody who's walking into the wind but there's no wind there's someone who just rolls across a hallway you think that like oh this is going to be the case but i think the movie does go that extra little bit and talks about a bit of backstory and tries Mm -hmm. to complete these 
people to make them people and not just look at this weird guy who walks backwards everywhere. Right. Sure, it is a, a short backstory, but it is there. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to realize that this movie is not a, a clinical diagnosis. This is not a movie that is really tackling the issues of mental health, at least not directly. Mm-hmm. It's not showing you reality and uh, criticizing the healthcare system. It's rather just taking these ideas and yeah, it is having fun with them, but why can't we have fun with everything? Yeah. And I think that ultimately the portrayal of the mentally ill didn't bother me because the entire movie is set up as being fantastic right from the beginning. It's not like everything is normal and then here's these wacky characters. Everything has a definite sense of um, like a dark whimsy to mm-hmm. it. And it sets up right off the beginning. We get the score that is more Danny Elfman than Danny Elfman, mm-hmm. right? It's this uh, really carnival-esque. And when you hear that, I feel like, okay, this isn't reality. So yeah. I can't judge it by the terms I would judge a movie that's trying to depict our life. This right. movie is not that. Not realistic, yeah. No, and I think once you get out of that sense of our realism that is a lot more freeing and you can just take this movie as as something else right mm-hmm. if you were to watch a cartoon and then be like hey cats and mice can't do that this movie is crazy <laughs> it, no of course not and that's not what they're going for here mm-hmm. and i think we have a hard time applying that to something that is as serious as uh, institutions or battles with mental illness right because those are such serious things we feel like they can't be fun yeah and I, I get that, of course. But then again, Roberto Benigni won a Oscar for a whimsical Holocaust movie. So, like, you know. <laughs> I had to rewatch that. I wonder if that is... What was it up. called? Life is Beautiful. I haven't seen it. I remember liking it back then, but I was also, like, 16 or something. Mm. But I do think that this movie kind of finds a sweet spot. When we see the hallucinations that she has... They're not played as silly and we laugh at her, and they're not played as scary and she's something that should be feared. They're just a matter-of-fact representation. The Mm -hmm. hallucinations are just as real as the rest of the movie. Right. They're not treated differently. Yeah. They're not shot differently. It's not that one is fun and the other is serious. They're, They're treated the same. So I get why you find that kind of confusing to differentiate yeah and the fact yeah usually like in a movie that has kind of like alternate reality in it there's a change in lighting or tone or music right yes and this had no cues like that and we probably won't get into it until the end but why do we need to differentiate because it's confusing (laughs) but her reality is what we are trying to learn about right objective reality if that can exist doesn't matter because we are concerned about the lives of these characters Mm -hmm. so their reality is reality and i think we kind of learn that throughout the film i think that might even be like a message that they're going for and i think that these hallucinations that she has by not making them terribly different not uh, scarier or funnier Mm -hmm. or I guess they are scary because of the content, but they're not treated differently. Right. So I think that by doing that, uh, Park is just showing you insight into the character. Mm-hmm. Her hallucination about shooting people down with her fingertips is just as meaningful and in the same way as if 
someone were to do a voiceover while they're writing a letter home and telling about their their true self. Right. This is just an extension of that, Hmm, I think. And I like that regardless of how bizarre she acts or appears, she never allows that to overwhelm the character's humanity. Mm -hmm. I feel that she is... It's funny to say because she's a cyborg, or yeah. she thinks she is, but she is human before all else. Right. Before she is a patient or a cyborg, there is this underlying uh, humanity to all of these characters. Right. And I think that's what helps strike a balance between uh, enjoying these hallucinations as like a fun little reprieve mm-hmm. and demonizing them as being horrific. Right. Her performance and the humanity behind it makes you feel that... Or at least for me, it was successful at making me feel like this is just another way to see into a character, a way that we don't often get to see on film. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You're very wise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because I didn't write that down, but it was coming to me as we spoke. And I'm like, huh, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You sound very wise, very wizened. I think I sound like I can bullshit with the best of them. <laughs> you can, though. I appreciate that about you. But I don't think it's a big stretch to say that that's what those hallucinations accomplish. Mm-hmm. They they give you insights into her, right? Yeah, a bit. You don't sound convinced. I'm still very confused by this movie. How about the parts we just talked about? Does Is there anything there that still seems like you don't quite get? I think the main thing was that I just, I struggled with like the changeovers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of what stopped me from really like enjoying this movie because i felt like i was constantly having to like find my place like where we where we were what was happening and like what is real what is real and like i understand that they're trying to like maybe write it from like like from someone who's in the institution's point of view Mm -hmm. um so like you may not always know what's real or like you may not always know what's happening or why it's happening but i did not enjoy that part (laughs) Do we want to get into the subjectivity of reality now, or do you want to save that for the end? Let's save it for the end. Well, maybe let's talk a little bit about our two main characters and their motivations, and maybe that will help kind of uh, ground this in some sort of reality for you. Okay, sounds good. So we have Rain as Pak Il-sun, mm-hmm. and Im Soo-jung as Young-gun, who is our protagonist. Yes. How about Young Goon? How did you like this character, first of all? Um, she's very interesting to look at. Definitely. That hair. Well, let's let's start there. Let's talk okay. about this appearance. Break it down for us. Yes. So the hair, um, and what you realize after is dentures. Right. And her like the way she holds her eyes, like so wide open and like kind of blank. I found her very interesting to look at, and I I enjoyed her character acting. Yeah, I don't know what the best word to describe it would be, because it's not like she's exactly attractive. She's captivating. Mm -hmm. I enjoy looking at her on screen. Yes. And with this kind of bizarre look she has... I guess I'm just repeating myself, but I think she her performance was strong enough to cut through that and mm-hmm. also have a, a lot of humanity and character behind it. Yes. But even in all of these big facial expressions she does, there is a lot of variety. I found that few instances where she would smile at someone, 
those ones kind of creep me out a little bit. Yes. <laughs> with her big wide eyes and that hair and then smiling with the with the dentures usually. Or there were times later where her eyes weren't wide and she was smiling just with her normal teeth. And maybe it was because that was such a departure of who yes. she was before that those seemed a little creepy. Yes, that was definitely creepy. So th- this actress is very impressive in this role. Mm-hmm. I think it would take a lot to like do that the go that far with it yeah to have kind of big jim carrey-esque facial expressions but then still have the subtlety it's a jim carrey meryl streep is what this is it's a very rare blend no kidding (laughs) um yeah so i really i enjoyed her i enjoyed her like facial expressions and like the little subtle things that she did when she was moving um her bag that she carries around, right. like the way that she kind of protects it and everything. And then uh, when she's out in the rain at the end, her face, because she looks kind of at peace. Yeah, she looks the most, if we could use the word normal, she looks the most normal. Yes, then. with him. And they're both like pretty calm. Yeah, her appearance with those, she has bleached eyebrows yeah. as well. And the top of her hair is dyed blue. Yes. Yeah. And then it's, I assume that's a wig. Maybe not. Maybe she does have that much hair, but it's her hair we get to see on in that scene where she's topless and we get to see her back. Mm-hmm. Her hair is as wide as she is. Yes. Yeah. I think it had to have been a wig for the movie. But um, in this, yeah, you can kind of also see like big chops of hair, like mm-hmm. where someone's clearly taken scissors to her. Yes, yes. Or she's taking scissors to herself. One of the two. How about her character? Let's psychoanalyze her, if we may. She thinks she's a cyborg. Mm-hmm. Where does this come from? I don't know. From her grandmother? Yeah, I think quite early on we get a pretty definite answer of about why she thinks these shit things. Mm-hmm. Because clearly there's mental illness in her family, so there is some sort of genetic component right and i think you could even read the dentures as being like kind of symbolic of that because she's carrying this part of her grandmother with her all the time right and just as mental illness can affect generations following she's showing it with that but uh, very early on we get the flashback of her trying to ride her bike after her grandmother after she's been taken by the the white coats right and she can't make it up the hill. And she, I think, I forget how this exactly happens. Either she thinks her grandmother says this or she says it. But she says a bike can't beat an ambulance, but a cyborg can beat anything. Right. And from that moment, it's put in her head that that's what she needs to be. Because the biggest tragedy or trauma in her life is the forcible removal of her grandmother from her, who was her best friend, and she felt they really understood each other. Yes. So I think in that way, it's it's pretty clear, at least I think, to why she has this particular delusion. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think, like, her grandmother is obviously also kind of mentally unwell. And uh, so I think a lot of her symptoms kind of might have been exacerbated or like more learned behavior from her grandmother perhaps or perhaps it's that they both shared these things and Mm -hmm. that's why they found solace in each other because 
they both were accepting of each other's realities. Yes. So maybe I think I didn't have this theory at the beginning, but because you brought it up, I'm going to posit that perhaps accepting the realities of others is part of what this movie is uh, is positing as a solution. Hmm. But not a actual mental health solution, but no. for the sake of this movie. No. <laughs> Later on in this movie, when we get to see her reminisce about her grandmother and we get to see the more extended flashback, and you get to see that her feelings of uh, of abandonment, of fear, of sadness, of loneliness, confusion, all of that isn't due to her mental illness. It's mm-hmm. due to the loss of her grandmother. And I think this makes at least me think as an audience member that her sense of reality or her sense of loss and all of this isn't any less significant or meaningful because of her because her sense of reality is is distorted Mm -hmm. and i think that kind of speaks to the idea of that the reality outside of the person doesn't matter as much if your reality is one thing realities outside of that don't have the same impact on you Mm mm-hmm Does that make you feel a little less like the objective reality is that important? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Okay, I'm going to wear you down. Okay, let's go. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Um, Just going back, though, to the beginning, I wanted to call out the opening scene where she does cut her wrist and then jam the wires into it. Yeah. Because I think I didn't realize it at the time, but we get those instructions coming through about what to do. Yes. And I didn't quite get why those instructions continued through, but that is her reality. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, they weren't even playing at I the factory at all. Because everyone else has headphones on. Oh, good catch. Yeah, everyone else has so headphones on. So that was all on. in her head. Yes. Um, so her reality is all that mattered to her, right? It didn't. The objective reality for the other people didn't influence her. Yes, yeah. So... Um, that was one thing that I found kind of interesting. Um, and like, I could understand that she was having kind of like a, um, like a hallucination moment because everyone else was wearing headphones. I assume that they were listening to their own thing. And then the, the instructions that she's hearing are like, they start out normal and then clearly her station isn't like everyone else's one. And then two, the instructions go like way off the rails. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I like that it's unclear where that break of reality is. Mm -hmm. Are there actual instructions and people are wearing headphones to tune them out because they know by now. And for her, those instructions start getting warped into what her mind thinks. Or were there no instructions in the first place? Yeah. Doesn't really matter. Because all we need to know. (laughs) Because all we need to know is what matters to her. Right. Those other people don't really matter in this scene. So the objective reality isn't as important as as what hers is. Right. And I guess the only other real main character in this is Rain as Ilsun. Mm -hmm. What did you think about him? I liked him. He had a very like childlike quality. Mm -hmm. Um I, I kind of enjoyed him as a, like, kind of a, a, a fun break to what she was going through. Yeah, I'm glad that she wasn't that uh, typical manic pixie dream girl that we see in a mm-hmm. lot of movies. But if you can have a manic pixie dream boy, it might be Rain in I this. I think so. He's a little bit of that. But he does have his own stuff going on yes. as well. 
we kind of already mentioned it, but do you want to take a stab at psychoanalyzing Rain? What's going on with him? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no big, no big deal. <laughs> just uh, explain the entire character. Yeah, let me just let me just break that down. Um, Rain seems childlike, like I said, and um, playful, mm-hmm. kind of. And then also, uh, you can definitely see why he's at the institution with his um, his mask. And I didn't really understand that he thought he was going to disappear. He does say at one point that his biggest fear is that he will turn into a speck. Yeah, and I don't think I really understood what he meant by that. See, I, I get that one because, like, I get that. <laughs> the fear of turning oh, into a speck love. and disappearing because... But I don't think it's, again, it goes into a lot of my personal philosophy of I don't think a lot of things we think of as bad or sad or depressing, I don't think they are. Mm -hmm. I think we are all specs, because in the grand scheme of things, aren't we? Wow. (laughs) Like, really, we're so insignificant, and I don't think it's a bad thing to realize your insignificance. Yeah. I'm insignificant, and I'm fine with it. But I think his goes a little further that he thinks he's going to just like disappear. Turn into a literal speck. Yeah. He's kind of taking this big metaphysical idea and it is becoming very literal to him. But also, we all will turn into specks, quite literally. Not in our lifetime, but you will be nothing. Whoa, man. <laughs> right? Yeah. I I just like to always bring up things that are shown as like oh look at this crazy person and be like well yeah but he's right though (laughs) he is correct in a yeah in a way he is definitely correct were you able to pick up on what his driving force is through this movie before he meets uh youngun that is not really because he does carry that locket with his mother's picture in it yes and he does get very serious a couple of times and say, like, when my mother abandoned me. So he, he, everything from him clearly stems from his abandonment issues from his mother. Right. And he's attached inappropriate amounts of importance to certain things, like brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. He felt like he didn't brush his teeth enough. He wasn't a good boy. That's why his mother left him. <laughs> he is. And you're looking at me because I do bother you to brush your teeth yeah. more often. I think everyone should brush their teeth a lot. Yeah. And he's also clearly in a state of arrested development because he stopped growing after his mother left. He's reverted, if anything, to a more childlike yes. self because perhaps that's when he was actually close to his mother, when he was mm-hmm. more of a child, so he's becoming more of that. And then I like how the kleptomania that he had in the outside world of like literally stealing objects, I assume, mm-hmm. has kind of evolved into stealing characteristics yes because he definitely has some sort of uh, inferiority complex because he blames himself for his mother leaving so he starts taking on the personalities of others because he feels like he's disappearing he has nothing to himself so he's trying to get that from other people yes that's what i think at least yeah i could see that and um stealing their like little quirks to make himself seem more interesting, maybe? Yeah, so, or so just substantial. Yes. I think you can look at people who are super boring, but then they develop one thing. Like, we are admittedly big craft beer people. Yes. But we've definitely met people who that is their personality. It's There's our, nothing else to it, right? It's their only personality. They find something and they're like, this makes me a person now. We have, like, other interests. 
we're slowly turning into one person. But <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> but like we can have a conversation on a range of topics, whereas right. you do meet, like you said, with craft beer, you do meet those people who are like, no, we just like study craft beer and yeah. only talk about it. And yeah. that's like. And an interest is not a personality. No. A quirk is not a personality. And the movie, although is kind of guilty of that at some points, because some of these characters, they're not explored as much as uh-huh. the, the, the main two. And they are just that one quirk. But simultaneously, the movie is making the argument that him taking these single things does not make him a full person. He needs right. more to him. He needs to have some sort of purpose, which we get into later. Yes. That seem fair? That seems fair. So do these characters at least make sense to you? Mm, Yes. Yes. So we're on our way to this movie making sense. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) A little more than when we started? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe talking it out, that sometimes helps too with the like character traits and everything. Like I feel like I I understood them better than I thought I did, Mm -hmm. but it's, I don't know. This is where I get lost again. How so? Like, now that we've talked about them, I feel like everyone else in this movie doesn't really make sense. What do you mean? Like, the grandmother I get, the mother I didn't really get. What don't you get about her? She's kind of a dick is what I get. She's kind of a dick, yeah. And I remember her saying she was too busy for her daughter. But I, like, like, I didn't understand their interactions. Like, when she comes and brings food and, like, seasoning, but also, like, a teaspoon of her grandma's ashes. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't really understand the, like, the mix-up there. Hmm. And, like, also, like, she doesn't really seem to care about her. Yeah, and I think that's it. I had the fear when you said you didn't understand it that perhaps you do understand it, but you just don't think it's good. <laughs> and we might be getting into that because okay. I think that is the mother. I think she... She very ironically tells Youngun not to be selfish and indulge these hallucinations, although she is the most selfish person. Mm-hmm. She uh, let her mother get taken away and uh, presumably didn't really talk to her after that point, didn't yeah. allow Youngun to see her. She's not really been any sort of help to to Youngun mm-hmm. as she goes through this because the mother seems more preoccupied with her little, um, I don't know if she's making sundae or something, a... Uh, sausages right some kind of something like that and she's more invested in that than in any other people Mm -hmm. and i think that the movie posits an idea that the meaning of most of this is to to help others to empathize with others or at least sympathize because there are a lot of ideas of uh, sympathy and empathy and what is one's purpose right maybe we should get into that part a little bit sure because Youngun does say more than once that she is looking for her purpose. Right. It's quite explicit. It's not one of those hidden ones of this person is looking to find their meaning in life. She says, what is my purpose? Mm -hmm. And we're used to robot characters who have a distinct mission. I think that's what we know most about any sort of, like, the Terminator is here to save John Connor or kill, depending on which Terminator. Right, yeah. Uh, Hal has his mission. Every robotic character has usually a single track mind and they're mm-hmm. on, they focus on that one thing. Right. And she is always looking for that because she feels probably as a, a person was before that she was directionless, didn't have a purpose. And now that she's taken on the cyborg identity, 
it's all the more important because the one thing she knows is that a robot should definitely have a, a distinct mission. But right. she's asking for that. And when she has those dreams or hallucinations or whatever about her grandmother, her grandmother is telling her, your purpose is... And then it always gets like she can't hear or she can't see what she's saying. Right. And I think the movie is kind of positing the idea that finding a person to connect with or empathizing or helping others is the purpose. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? What do um, you think? Yeah, I don't know. Because like you can kind of see her wanting to get back at the white coats. Mm-hmm. And... Like, she seems to use that as her purpose. Yeah, for the most part, for most of the yeah. movie. But then it does change towards the end with her interactions with Rain. Mm-hmm. Because she does get to the point where she figures out, or she thinks she figures out what her purpose is. And she kind of does a lip reading and she discovers like, oh, my purpose is that I am a nuclear bomb I need to destroy humanity, and the only way to do that is to detonate with an electric shock. Right. So she does get to the point of having that specific purpose. Mm -hmm. But instead, when she goes there, she does not get hit by electricity. She definitely doesn't detonate. But what she does do is create a kind of a bond with a human that she hasn't done since her grandmother was taken away from her. Right. So her purpose, I kind of think, is to get back to the point of of humanity, of interacting with people as mm-hmm. people, because that's but what has been missing from her life in this uh, throughout this time, because she hasn't found anyone who, who has an interest in her like her grandmother did. Right. But now with Rain, she has that again, and I feel like she doesn't even realize it. Maybe not until the very, very end. Yeah. But at the end, she starts brushing her teeth. Yeah. As well, and then. This is the first time that it's been flipped because Rain has always been taking the characteristics of others. Right. And finally someone is taking something from him. And that's kind of a validation to him because he is not nothing. Mm -hmm. He is someone with... uh, Sure, it is a silly little quirk again, but it is something that has made an impression on another human, which Mm -hmm. hasn't happened before. Because in the past... Everything that he was asked about was, can you take this from me? Do this for me? Yes. Nobody really knew who he was. And when he was being uh, chastised for things, it was always about taking from others. It was never about being who he was because we didn't know who he was. He was a thief. But in this instance, he has made an impression on someone. Mm -hmm. And sure, it is superficial, but it is something. And vice versa, he is now grabbing the lightning rod. He has taken that from her, and she has taken something from him. And I think we can definitely say that there is, in their own perhaps weird, unique way, there is a connection between these two characters. Yeah. And what is your takeaway from the very, very end? Do you know what happens at the very end? Which part? Last shot of the whole movie. I can't remember what it is now. They're laying naked on top of each other. Oh, I didn't notice that part. So earlier she had said like, oh, our socks are wet. We have to take them off. And then the tent blows away. And then there's, they spend the night out in the rain just being rained on. And then he says, well, it's not just that our socks are wet. Implying that like all of our clothes are wet. We should take them off. (laughs) And then it cuts to this big wide shot. 
And it's very, it's hard to see. Yeah, I think that might have been why I missed it. But you see them, what it looks like is he's laying on his back naked and she is on top straddling him naked as well, just kind of laying down on him and he's stroking her hair. Mm. Yeah, I think I was looking at the rainbow in this scene and not so much them. Yeah, and if there's a more clear vision of like, look, everything's getting better. Yeah. It is that the rain is stopping and a rainbow is appearing. Yeah. So I think it is a bizarre step Mm -hmm. and a perhaps a small step, but I think it is a step for both of them in interacting with another person as another person, not as a single quirk, as a, a antagonist or as a, a means to an end, but acting with another person as a person. I, I missed that part, but I think that it kind of does show that, like, they are going to be okay in some way. Yeah, I wonder. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm taking it to, like, literally, but I feel like the rainbow and the rain stopped and they're, like, together. It feels like an optimistic ending. Yes. I don't think the journey of them or what the previous hour and a half had shown makes you feel like, oh, they're better now. Yeah. But I do think that this is definitely the most optimistic point of the movie. Yes, because he's like, he's gotten her to eat. He's like convinced her that rice will help her like mm. power the up. Megatron. Um, and so I, and I think she feels really at ease because he's taking on a lot of the same traits that her grandma had. Oh, yes. Yeah, I can so see that. So I feel like because she was very calm around her grandma in that first scene when they take her away to the home. Um, so I think I felt like maybe because he's slowly taking these traits from her uh, that he's also kind of just becoming familiar like like her grandma. Mm-hmm. And in taking the traits onto himself in the past other people had used that as a sort of therapy right mm-hmm. if there's a trait they don't want he would come and take it from them right so maybe that's that's the way he knows how to help mm-hmm. but she's also reciprocating in this end part by taking yeah. on some so it's showing that she is kind of uh, stepping out of what she used to be and as like well. sharing the burden almost yeah yeah yes i think that's a good way of putting yeah. it actually Can we touch on the the Rice Megatron? Yes, we can. Oh, I love that. That was such a cute scene. That was one of my favorite parts in the movie, I think. It's somehow romantic and crushing at the same time. Yeah. Because when he says, like, oh, and take your top off, and he's, like, very nervous because he's like, ooh, a girl, right? Because he's a child. (laughs) Yes. And when he sees her and how small and frail she looks, he cries. Yeah. Like, a single tear rolls down. And then she is behaving more, I don't know if normally is the right word, more cordially, more talkative than Mm -hmm. she had been at any time in the past. Because it seems like this is the first time anyone has really taken an interest in her. Yeah. The people there don't even know that she thinks she's a cyborg. They just think she's quiet and won't eat. Yeah. So they can't even begin to, to try to help her. But this moment was... Of pretending to cut a hole in someone's back was such a, like, real sweet moment. Yes, because he's, like, he understands kind of maybe in a weird way how to help her. Yeah. And it's by, one, doing something that she can't see. Mm -hmm. And two, like, coming up with a really, like, big story for what this thing he's putting inside of her is. 
And playing into her delusion. Yeah. And you can, of course, talk about like, well, that's not sound medical practice. Sure. But that's not what this movie's about. It's a fanciful tale. Yes. And I think the heart of what that means is it's just uh, sympathy. Mm -hmm. He's uh, understanding where she is coming from and trying to help her out on her own terms. Yes. Rather than forcing something uh, external on her. Yeah. I, I thought that was really sweet and so helpful, like that he'd stopped kind of stealing things from people and he figured out how he could give something to her oh good Mm. one i like that (laughs) he's giving back for the first time like he's got the hot takes now that's true very nice very nice and i do like following that we do get a sense of community as Mm -hmm. well and after the first little bit of the movie i didn't I didn't know what to think of all these side characters. Right. They were, they were too much and not real people. Mm-hmm. But at this point, when everyone else is watching her and waiting to eat and waiting to swallow until she does, yeah. you get that everyone is on her side. And that yes. was, it was nice. I just liked that a lot. It was nice. That was a nice moment. And you could really see that these people were like kind of her people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They were able to see something in her. And they all do kind of try to go on that hunger strike as well to to help her out. They see something in her that they perhaps see in themselves. Well, and it's like the the fancy lady who's like always doing skincare and eats all of her food. Oh, yeah. So that the orderlies don't notice that she's not eating. Mm -hmm. I think that that was another way uh, that she could like help her while also kind of fulfilling something for herself because I'm sure she just wanted more food. Oh, yeah. I never took that as a helpful thing. I thought she was doing it for her own personal gain. But I guess there is, she was like doing what Youngbin wanted, I guess. Yes, exactly. I know it wasn't helpful yeah. in the like way that getting her better or like helping her like physically, but it did help her like kind of mission of not ingesting any more food. Mm-hmm. So I th- I thought that was kind of a sweet moment too. I also like that there's no real antagonist in this movie. I think a lot of movies that deal with uh, mental institutions, Mm -hmm. you usually have very cruel nurses or doctors or something like that. That wasn't the case here. Instead, you have doctors who are not the best. They're they're doing their best. Mm -hmm. They're trying. And I think that not having a set antagonist helps make this movie just about... Youngun and her reality mm-hmm. because she is kind of her own worst enemy in a lot yeah. of ways i think we kind of covered it but i did want to speak a little bit about the ideas of sympathy and empathy in right. this movie because that comes up a lot and it's even in the title of other uh, park chan movies is it yeah sympathy for lady vengeance oh. or sympathy for mr vengeance yes and then lady vengeance is another movie oh okay and also vengeance. Vengeance is a big part of this movie too. Big vengeance person. He is, yeah. But that's also what uh, Young Goon wants is vengeance on the white coach people. Yeah, and she thinks that sympathy is a sin, which is a really interesting and yeah. Uh, telling take. Yeah. That sympathy to her is a sin and she wants Rain to take away her sympathy. Her sympathy. Yeah. But in doing so, you're causing him to not just sympathize, but empathize. Mm-hmm. Because then he literally feels those things. Yes. I really just liked all of that. And I liked her seven deadly sins are seven of the things that I think describe me very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sympathy. Yeah. Being sad. Yeah. 
daydreaming. Yeah. Hesitating. Yeah. Restlessness. Yeah. Feeling guilty. Yeah. Feeling thankful. Yeah. That's that's me. But I just oscillate <laughs> between those seven is things. such a good way to describe you. Cause it's, I just think about things yeah. and then I, I don't act. Like, I that's how we're very different. Yeah. Is I'm a like, I like it. I have the money. I get it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well. I'm a little bit know. like Hamlet. Like when we were buying our house, I was like, yep, yeah, this is the one that I want. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't care the price. Let's get it. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, with that layout of the basement, it doesn't work. What about this? What about this? And I'm like, we can make it work. It'll be great. I can really see us here. And yeah. like, I was all in like three weeks before you were all in on it. And then I'd be all restless all night and yeah. not sleep. And then I'd feel guilty yeah. about not buying it because you wanted to. And then I'd daydream about what we would do yeah. in the house. And then I'd be sad about leaving a different house. But I'd have sympathy for you, and then I was very thankful to our realtor for all they did. Ugh, our realtor is amazing. If you need a good realtor, send us a message. Oh yeah, big shout out, Sarah. Sarah Lieb, she's you. amazing. <laughs> She'll really hold your hand and tell you what you need to hear. Yes, yeah, very true. Not what you want to hear, what you need to hear. Very true. Uh, but yeah, I loved that book as well because it's all cat based yes. too. I love the art. You I will are part buy cat. that. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I would buy that book if it were available. Uh, because it, yeah, it describes me a little too well. It does. I felt a little personally attacked. Those were, those are like, yeah, that's you yeah. in a nutshell. And it's just a cycle. Yeah, I just go between those. Yeah. Seven. I think there's a few other ones I have, like hungry. <laughs> I get hungry sometimes. And then guilt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then I, yeah, I do. I feel yeah, guilty about everything do. I eat. But I'm so thankful as well if someone makes it for me. I feel like I'm trying to like learn more of those things like uh, hesitation and... you want to be more like Yangun. yeah that's probably not a good thing no probably not uh but then she also has the vengeance side to her and the one time it really clicked for how real that feeling was she has a few different hallucinations where she's violent or doing different fanciful things mm -hmm. but there is one that sets itself apart from the others and it's the most sustained one and there's a part where it's a wide long shot so it's wide up from a building and it's her going through this uh like beautiful garden type courtyard thing and she's just mowing everyone down right and this is so different from the rest of the movie because the movie has very i don't know playful camera movement yeah it's fun it's light it's moving in and out of things but at this point it's fixed and it's probably 30 seconds a lot of this movie does seem like it's someone walking around after her yes yeah like it, it's you got feel that like kind you're of there with her. jerky uh like kind of whimsical playful like almost like ill sooner young good is holding the camera mm -hmm. and you're moving around and like because you're kind of unsteady and it, it kind of moves like a head would move mm. whereas yeah in that one shot there it's still it looks like a security camera it does and we now have seen security camera footage of people being killed it's on the news yes. you've, you've seen it somewhere so it brings a real harsh reality to mm -hmm. that scene and it makes you feel how real this idea of vengeance is for her. Mm -hmm. It takes you aback a little bit, yeah. right? Because you are in this fanciful movie where 
all sorts of like anything can happen yeah but here you have a real harsh reality in a scene about a woman believing she's a cyborg with finger guns yeah it's a great like dissonance in the combination there that Mm -hmm. I, i really did like and in that sequence as well rain seems to be acting as rain would Mm-hmm. not as part of her hallucination. Right. And it's almost a blending of realities because I wonder, is that Rain's thinking or hers? Mm-hmm. Does he fear she will do these things because of what she has said she wants to do? Yeah. Or if she is having this hallucination of cold-hearted vengeance, which is what it is, but she includes Rain being terrified... That's a big step for her. Yes. Because she is beginning to empathize with him and the fear that he would have. Yeah. She is thinking of other people, which she had not been doing before. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) And there's also like no music in that scene. Yes. It's very quiet. All you can hear is like the gun. Yeah. So at first I thought that scene seemed out of place in this movie, but now talking about it and realizing that one of them if not both of them are taking us an important step in that we just maybe don't realize it already oh my god finger guns she has finger guns (gasps) literal finger guns oh my god i don't know why that didn't click for me until just now Wait, this is your that's that's the missing piece that's why you didn't understand this movie now you get i love it (laughs) (laughs) no i i still i'm still on the fence but um i did not realize that it was literal finger guns and for some reason that's very funny to me (laughs) To the best of my knowledge, finger guns is not a saying in Korean, though. Really? I don't think so, but, like, you there's know, no, like... She's doing finger guns right now. Not very often. Mm. I, I can't remember people doing that, but then again, I don't remember people doing it here unless they're joking. Oh, I sometimes do it seriously. Really? Yeah. Why? I guess it's more of a jokey thing. You've never done it to me. I feel like maybe I have done it just, like, to be cheesy. Well, maybe we should wrap up with a little discussion on the subjectivity of reality and whether or not that's important. Sure. So how are you feeling with your understanding of the movie now? Do you think it's still that you don't understand things or that you just don't like what's on the screen? I think you make a good point. I think I go into all of these movies like with the idea that like I may love this. I don't think I ever go into this being like, oh I'm gonna hate this. Mm-hmm. Like so I, I try to be really positive and maybe I just didn't like register that I didn't like it and found it very confusing because of that. Right. So I think I just didn't enjoy this movie. Um I'm like when we first started talking about it I was at like ten percent comprehension. <laughs> I think maybe I'm at like forty percent comprehension now feel like i have a better handle of what happened but i still like don't really get it are you able to pinpoint what you don't get no okay no it's just like a really large ball of confusion but as we've talked through it now all of the plot elements at Mm -hmm. least make sense to you yes so then is your question at the end just kind of like yeah but why yeah yeah Hmm. why why does it need a a why i don't know Remember back when I was talking about Cat's Cradle and the creation myth in that religion of the first man asking, like, why did you do all of this? What is the purpose of it? And God's just like, who said there's a purpose? Why do <laughs> we think? purpose. Okay. Why does everything need a why? But I think there is a why in this because I think when we're talking about her search for purpose and finding that 
in another human. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of the why. Yeah. Okay. I thought you'd kind of get on board with that because it's like a, a romantic comedy type <laughs> yeah. answer of you just need to find that one person. And, and that was sweet. And I did like that part. I just, I don't know. It felt like a bunch of vignettes that didn't really go together for me. Oh, so it felt very disjointed and kind of like nonsensical. And like, I understand what you're saying. It was like, why does it need to have a reason or why, like, does it need to be like a certain thing? Mm -hmm. And I maybe that's just me not watching movies like that. Maybe. Also, like, I'm not used to watching this kind of movie for sure. Like, subtitles aside, I think that like movies like this that aren't kind of more mainstream what i'm used to kind of confuse me are you feeling probably not to that extent but are you feeling a similar way to when we watched the lighthouse yes okay so it's a more of an unfamiliarity issue maybe yes interesting Mm -hmm. and that one i feel like i don't know how to reconcile yeah that's fine we don't need to reconcile (laughs) it i i other than making you watch more movies like this I understand why this movie is important to watch. I get why you like it. I just don't think that I'm going to come around on it. Okay, so it's less of a I don't get it and more just like, yeah, I don't really like it. Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's fair. Just not for me. That's, I think that's absolutely fair. If it's I don't get it, I was just going to sit here and keep going, what about this? What about this? And help explain it. I think the more we talk about it, I'm just realizing that, yeah, it's just, it's not for me. It's just not my kind of movie. It could just be that it's so unfamiliar in a lot of its choices because uh, both, like we said, culturally, tonally, subject matter wise, Mm -hmm. how it's shot, all of that could be so unfamiliar that it's hard to like almost recognize it as a movie. Right. It's how I feel about a lot of music where it's like, it seems cacophonic to me. Mm -hmm. I know you love this and I know what's going on. But it just doesn't seem like music to me. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. That I can understand. Okay. Can we agree to disagree? (laughs) That should be the name of the podcast. Uh, Agree to disagree. (laughs) Although we agree more than we disagree now. That's true. Yeah. Because we both tend to not like the movies you pick. Oh, my God. (laughs) And we both tend to like the ones I pick. Why do you still let me pick movies? (laughs) (laughs) Because those ones tend to, those are fun episodes. They tend to be fun episodes, yeah. I can't wait for what I assume is Christmas Prince Jr. coming up pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the subjectivity of reality, if there is such a thing as objective reality. Mm-hmm. Because between you and I, like, we're not going to get too philosophical, but your reality and my reality are just different. Yes. Each individual has their own reality. For better or worse, that is the nature of perception yes can a movie be objective because even if it's a documentary they're editing it in a certain way to elicit a certain feeling right there's music put in why did you put the camera there everything is a choice to get you to feel a certain way right so i feel like this movie where we don't know what's real what's a hallucination whose hallucination is it i don't think it matters Because the point of this movie is to get you to connect to these characters Mm -hmm. above all else. And I think the way that they do this, in putting all this out there, in having Yonggun's 
hallucination being just as valuable and as real in how it's shot, how it's depicted as anything else, it's showing you more insight into the characters than it is the plot or what we would think of as objective reality. Right, right, right. And I kind of like it. Yeah. I get why it's jarring and disconcerting Mm -hmm. because that's not how we want to see the world. Nobody wants to think of their reality and perception and life being fundamentally different than other people's. Right. I think that's a, like a hard lesson that a lot of people are learning more and more mm-hmm. these days, but that is kind of fundamental to a lot of problems in the world. True. is that... assuming that everyone sees things the exact same way. Yes. And I think that's a big, like, well, it goes well with this movie. It's a big, uh, like conversation about mental health too in like being neurotypical and being neurodivergent Mm -hmm. is like the world is designed a certain way and for like a vast majority of the population the world doesn't work that way for them and so then you struggle and i'm learning a lot about that i'm going to talk about adhd again (laughs) like i'm learning a lot about that because like the average work day just doesn't work for me right so i think this is a very important conversation about, like, understanding that not everyone sees everything the same way. Yeah, and when we start talking about ideas of uh, of mental health, there are certain things that we just think, this is bad, this is good. Yeah. And I always am like, why, yeah. though? Yeah. Because a lot of the things I think of, people say, like, oh, do you need help? I'm like, no, those things are fine thoughts. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's not allowed for people to be like oh i believe life is meaningless and everyone's like oh no no that's fine why Mm -hmm. is that a bad thing yeah it's true it's when things become like dangerous right it's like that's when you get into your like suicidal thoughts or like a self-harm and that kind of thing then Mm -hmm. that's when maybe intervention is important but i think yeah like if you think about stuff like that it's fine as long as you're not taking it any further than that in that same vein is it all right to tell young goon yes you are a cyborg but now you have a rice megatron so you have to eat food is it all right for her to think she's a cyborg if that means she lives a healthier happier life i think so i don't know that because i think that's a coping mechanism right and i'm like learning all about coping mechanisms on my own journey uh and i think that that is how you kind of fit yourself into that neurotypical world is by learning those coping mechanisms so like not that starving yourself is neurotypical or like not starving yourself but it's like she eats food then they can begin to kind of help her with her other issues that she has so i i don't think it's tricking or like malicious to get her to like believe that she has the rice megatron maybe doctors wouldn't approach it that way but if it gets her to eat but it gets her to eat immediately it is helpful and they can then begin to work on all of her other things like being a cyborg or Mm -hmm. thinking that she's gonna murder all of the doctors and there's so much uh research into alzheimer's these days that now suggests like yeah go with it go with it just go with what they're believing play into it have fun with it and that seemed cruel in mm-hmm. the past, right? But but we're anyway. kind of getting into real mental health, which 
this movie isn't terribly concerned no, with. It's, it's, it's not, there. It's there. But, but I don't it's... think that's the heart of it because it is in this fantastic world yeah. that is distanced from our reality. It's more about the themes that are present here than the actual, yeah. like, this is what you should clinically do. Yeah. This movie doesn't try to do that, nor should we. Exactly, yeah. We don't really know what we're talking about. <laughs> but I like that most films that take place in uh, an institution of some sort mm. of mental health facility, whatever it is, a rehab, anything like that, they tend to start with a person who is, whether you want to call it normal, neurotypical, anything like that, a person that we trust. Mm-hmm. This movie does not do that. And it puts you uh, kind of like off kilter right from the beginning. Right. Because we don't have that clear, truthful, what we would consider objective reality view of anything. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first person that we get who we think has that kind of control is that woman who's showing young goon around about like, this person says this, this person does this, don't go over here because of. And she ends up being a patient. Yeah, we learn that that's what she does. She makes up stories for everyone. So it gives us what we want by showing us a character like that. And then it pulls the rug out from under you and say like, oh, not only does this person not know what they're talking about? Nobody here does. And you are going to be questioning that for the rest of this movie. True. So I feel like I've already kind of made my argument of why I don't think it matters because the lack of objectivity gives us more insight into the characters. And I think that's what this movie's more concerned with. Does it bother you not knowing what is real? Not as much as it did when I first watched it. Mm -hmm. I think... I've like accepted a little bit more that it's not going to make as much perfect sense as I want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does a very good job of kind of demonstrating her struggle in all of the like different ways that they show her environment. I think I just need to stop needing it to make sense. Yeah, that I think that is definitely a part of it, or at least sense in that way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what I say about uh, superhero movies. Right. You can do whatever you want as long as you play by the rules that you set forth. Right. And I think this movie sets forth quite early on that there are no reliable narrators. There is no objective reality. Mm -hmm. But what you are seeing is the reality for someone here. Mm -hmm. And the realities for these characters is what we are concerned with. The reality in this movie isn't your reality at, at at any point. Right. It's already stylized. We're starting with that Danny Elfman music that turns into kind of Jan Tiersen stuff. So yeah. it's like a mix between Edward Scissorhands, Anomaly, which just made me think of those movies a lot. <laughs> and when we're watching those movies, we question it less. Yes. When Amelie is so over the top in its quirkiness and its cuteness and these elaborate things that are done out of love, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful and we have no problem with it. When Edward Scissorhands is a monster in leather with scissor hands uh, looming above this pastel town underneath, we don't think that's over the top because that's the world that they've created. But this one, because it does get into a lot of real problems it touches on them at least although Mm -hmm. not always the most concerned with them it seems like people have more of an issue of those types of elements being brought into a movie like this but i think they go so far into this lack of objective reality that it's something new it's not just 
Wes Anderson or Tim Burton and their style. This movie's style is the minds of these people, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. And yeah, that can be very off-putting, mm-hmm. especially when we are put in the world where these people are not mentally well mm-hmm. and we are seeing things through their eyes both by having that fluid camera move around like they yeah. do to having those hallucinations be presented just as real as anything else mm-hmm. it's not a place where people want to be but i feel like movies in general do too much work to make the audience feel comfortable all mm-hmm. the time i think we need to feel uncomfortable in order to to deal with things mm-hmm. and although i don't think this movie has a terribly grand take on mental illness i mm-hmm. don't think that's its primary concern but what it does do a great job of is putting you in the mind of someone else and letting you know how they think things through And that doesn't always make sense because the way you think doesn't always Uh make sense. But I think there are enough clues throughout that gives you insight into these characters and makes you feel closer to them. And I think that's why I I may have talked myself into loving this movie again. (laughs) It does something unique and something hard to do and something I don't see a lot of. And I think it's successful at at those things. Hmm. I get why those things are not the most appealing things because you don't want to be in the mind of someone who's going through this and you don't want and you want to have an answer. Mm-hmm. But I think this is just an extension of those movies where you years ago would be frustrated like, well, what happened at the end? And it's like, yeah. We don't know. Isn't it fun to think about? (laughs) And that was like a frustration. And as you've watched more, that's become, I think, less of a frustration. Yeah, I think so. But this is not just an ambiguous ending. It's an ambiguous reality. Yes. And I understand why that is hard and difficult to watch. Mm -hmm. But I also kind of love it. (laughs) So it's all about those ideas of sympathy and empathy throughout right and you were saying how you feel like put off by a lot of it because Mm -hmm. it's uh putting you in places where you don't want to be because you can't tell what's real and you're being put in the mind of someone who is clinically insane but i think that's the filmmaker forcing you to not just sympathize but empathize with people who you normally wouldn't because the difference between sympathy and empathy is to experience like i can uh sympathize with someone in a mental institution but i can't empathize because i've never been through that right and by making your reality her reality park chanuk is making you not just sympathize but empathize with her because you're experiencing what she's experiencing and the disoriented feelings that you're always talking about is i think intentional then because you're seeing things through her eyes and you're getting a feel of what her world is Ah. it's forced empathizing oh i still don't think i like the movie yeah it's fair well that was a really good wrap up for this movie i don't know that i could have said it better well you also don't agree (laughs) no but i mean like that was a really nice way to kind of tie everything up thank you you know how i get on a roll sometimes i do start talking with my hands and i don't make eye contact and i soliloquize like that when you're uh, looking at the ceiling or, like, above my head, I know that you're, like, on a track. I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. With all of this uh, soliloquizing, do you like this movie? I'm at, like, like 0.5. 
like 0.5. Uh-huh. That, that's like a 5.5? Yeah. 5.5 out of 10. Yeah. That's that's tough. It's going to bring your rankings down. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, 5.5. All right. Yeah. What about you? Are you firmly in the love camp? I'm like at an 8. Okay. I think it's it's very good. It's fun. The performances are great. And I loved the the style, like visually. And then the soundtrack is a lot of fun too. Rain yodels. Yeah. Because he steals the yodeling from the one woman and then steals the flying from the other so that he can give Young-Goon this fantastic journey. Yeah, by... that was cute. Yeah. I liked that. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Samantha, could you tell us about our second sponsor of the day? Yeah, our second sponsor of the day for our regular listeners will be a familiar one. Uh, We are sponsored today by Rumi. Rumi is a service available to homeowners and people even who don't own homes. Their Ask a Home Inspector program allows you to speak to a professional home inspector by phone or video call to get your questions answered about your home. So if you have cold drafts, flickering lights, and leaks that you don't know where they're coming from, or if you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. Uh, Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little do-it-yourself or when you might need to call in some professional help. And we used Rumi to find both our home inspector for our new home and a painting service and possibly an air conditioning service for next summer. So, Or maybe someone who can soundproof a room and we can have our own fancy studio. Oh, podcast studio. We won't have to stop whenever cars go by. Like yeah. Uh, so if this sounds like something that you might need or if you've ever had a question about something in your home, you can visit roomie.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. Thank you. And you can join us here again next week where we will each have a spoiler-free review of something that we are into. Just a nice little short one. And Samantha will let us know what we're watching for the week after. Yes, I'm excited to find out. Oh, you don't have I was <laughs> going to ask not. for a hint. It's an odd season because it's like post-spooky, pre-festive. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's just like really random. So we'll see what I come up with. Like this movie. Like this movie. Okay. Uh, so we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Choppy chunks in the... Ew, spider. Ew, ew, go away, go away. Oh, I was going to let it outside, but I think I killed it. (laughs) Oh, it's alive. It crawled away.